Lina, we are doing our first podcast together today with Nisrin from the net uh, uh group. And lots of people were reaching out to me via LinkedIn and saying, cool, Lina is on board, the most capable person in e-commerce in, in the GCC region. So please tell the audience, why are you in it recording some Commerce Talks episodes? <laughs> Uh, hi, Alex. So first of all, thank you for having me on your wonderful podcast. I'm Lina Gallagher. I'm a founder and managing director of Immerse Consultant. It's a Dubai-based e-commerce consultancy that uh, helps retailers, brands, startups, distributors, and investors across the GCC um, to embrace, first of all, that digital transformation um, by launching e-commerce stores first step. And then as they um, online, uh, we also support them through the growth and expansion across the region. Um, uh, I'm a mother also and uh, a founder and also a very strong woman empowerment uh, agent. So the reason um, I think I chose, you know, sort of Nizreen to be the first guest of our GCC Commerce Talks podcast is because uh, Nizreen has very similar values um, as me. She's a very strong person in e-commerce and retail, and she's the person that first values the customer before they discuss the channel or where they came from. So um, uh, yeah, like my first expression of the podcast, I think Nizreen had a very interesting uh, um, points around how community is important. Even if you sell luxury and expensive items, it's not just about the initial acquisition cost. It's about uh, keeping the customer and keeping one-to-one -one relationship with the customer. Second thing uh, I think which uh, we are all in the Middle East definitely looking forward to is uh, their launch of uh, TikTok and because uh, Nata Porta doesn't do anything traditional way. So that's uh, something and Nizrina sharing uh, how are they going to launch and what is it going to be about. And the third take, um, which was very interesting to hear, is that um, live shopping is important, but you shouldn't shouldn't be doing it as planned. You should be linking it to, uh, to certain celebrations or certain events of the year, which I think um, very different approach to some many uh, retailers in the region, because I think here we're taking more traditional way like planned episode. So maybe the success lies in, uh, in doing it spontaneously and doing it uh, related to the certain event. So very yeah. interesting conversation. And Nizreen was a great speaker. Yeah, so my, my biggest ball moment was obviously the price tag from the Birkenbeck. I never heard of, heard before, but uh, that you can pay 100,000 uh, euro just for a bag from MS, like a uh, second-hand market, not the primary market. So uh, big wow, but also had a lot of learnings. So please enjoy the show with Nisrin. It really was a, a sensational experience with you, with you, Lina, already. Thank you. Thanks, Alex. Looking forward to the future ones. Welcome to the Commerce Talks uh, show. Today, our first episodes uh, with our star co-host, uh, Lina, the Goof spe Special um, here, and our guest, uh, Nisrin, uh, running a very interesting business, introducing um, herself in, uh, in a minute. We want to understand much better how the business, the retail business, the B2B business, the manufacturing business is uh, running in this region. Um, and therefore, um, uh, we are very happy to welcome um, Nisrin von Jogs Netaporté, uh, who is now introducing herself and the business model. Thank you for having me on the show and uh, for kicking off the show as well. The, I moved to the Middle East in 2006, 
but I have been in the e-commerce space since 98. So I think, you know, it's uh, I've seen all the, the ups and downs of, of this industry and, and this market. And like you said, all the businesses who were, you know, physical trying to become omni-channel and the turbulations of how that works. Sometimes they're integrated within the business and sometimes they put them separately in, a, in, a, in another uh, cooler office. And, you know, I've seen all the different models that have worked and, and haven't worked over the years. Um, before moving to the Middle East, I worked in the US, I worked in Germany and I worked in uh, the UK and uh, primar primarily started in media and then moved over to, to fashion. And basically now, you know, essentially they, they intersect. So uh, my name is Nisreen Shoker. I'm the CEO of Yuke Santaporte Middle East. And Yuke Santaporte is essentially four brands. We have two luxury brands, Netaporte and Mr. Porter, one for women, one for men. And then we have the what we call the previous season product through the Outnet and Dukes. Um, some are more popular in certain European markets than others and uh, globally as well. So some people know Netaporte more than they know Mr. Porter. Dukes is very popular in Italy. That's where it started and so on. And our parent uh, company at the moment is, is Richemont. Um, I, I moved to the region in 2006, thinking I'm here for one year and then I'm back in New York and I'm still here. And uh, very simply, probably for the same reasons Lena is, it's a very, very dynamic market and it's a very young market as well. So if you are very youth focused in terms of where your brands are going, not just in terms of age, but behavioral, uh, very useful in terms of um, lifestyle as well, then it's probably one of the most exciting markets to be in. Just to clarify like the, the business itself, so and under what kind of brand are you operating in, in the region? Is it rather Hughes, is it Net-au-Porté, or is it like all brands do show a different assortment, different brands then? We, we carry all four brands and they are quite localized, I would say, in the approach in the sense that we have the sites localized in terms of currency, in terms of language, but also localization is no longer about language. They're qualifiers now um, and distinguishers. So for me, a qualifier is a site being in Arabic. This is nothing special or a currency being localized. is nothing special anymore. What really makes you stand apart is, and what our customers are looking for, is collaborations between international designers and local designers, but also taking local designers global. That has been a, a great success story, I would say, for us, because our customer, our VIP customers and uh, our customers at large are really looking for more and more brands that are very unique, very different. In the top five, top 10 category in the luxury market, it's dominated by the same brands globally, right? So you see the same brands people are buying globally. But beyond that, then it starts becoming much more localized. So for example, we have brands here in the Middle East that have actually made it into the top five um, because they market more towards the Middle Eastern taste, whether it's the modesty, of the market, which as you know, Germany is a very big modest wear market, uh, even though it has nothing to do with religion, but a style of dressing, 
or it could be the fact that it's a lot more colorful. We go to a lot more events. We uh, we uh, we tend to wear a lot uh, less practical things, but more uh, maybe glamorous things, you know. So what we've done is we've taken our four sites and our four product lines, and what we've made sure is that it's localized, not just for the GCC, but every market in the GCC, because Saudi Arabia is not Dubai. Dubai is not Abu Dhabi and, and so on. Even in Saudi Arabia, every market is completely different. And just to finish the uh, the intro section, um, can you share some uh, some numbers? Uh, what this kind of region is doing from a revenue perspective um, for uh, for your business? And um, and my understanding is it's it's mainly a wholesale business. So you're not producing your own brands. You're you're just uh, you're just market you're just market other people's brands. So so to say. And we will come back later to this because of the the whole D 2 C. Uh, uh, yes, we have our private labels because we have a big angle related to sustainability and circularity. So with our own private labels, it really allows us to be as what we would call considered as possible and sustainable as possible. And we've been able to have incredible success building those brands here in this region. So with uh, Mr. Porter, for example, the local brand, the private label brand is Mr. P. And Mr. P is a beautiful brand. It's uh, considered, it's, um, it's high on trend. It's an investment piece. So we've been able to do quite a lot with, with our own brands, um, as well as, like you said, wholesaling the, the big brand. So what you would call a multi-brand uh, site. Okay. Now, now you have uh, uh, very cleverly managed I, around the numbers uh, question. I don't know yes. what, you, what you are allowed to, to, to share, but is there anything? Exactly. So like may, maybe, maybe just how many people are working in the region? I think uh, I'll, say, I'll say one. I mean, it's always nice to have some numbers, I suppose, but we are quite restricted. But what I can say is that it's been just like the rest of the market. So as you know, China, the Middle East, those markets are markets that everybody looks at in terms of luxury growth. And it's a, there's a big piece of the pie to take. And we were very much below the, the number 10 point uh, four or five years ago. And now we're definitely in the top three. So if that explains the level of growth, when you know that obviously this is a market that has continued to grow, definitely in e-commerce and definitely in COVID days, it gives you a good idea of, of how fast we've grown. And it's been, um, I mean, I'll leave it up to you to ask me the questions, but it's definitely been more than one reason that has gotten us there for sure. Okay, okay, okay. H handing over to Lina. Uh, great. Uh, so thanks, Nizreen. So now, you know, as we are uh, talking more about the business model in the Middle East, maybe we can tackle that growth topic a bit more detail. And, you know, we, we know that so how do you continue growing and acquiring those new customers online, considering all the tremendous marketing evolution that we had recently, rising acquisition costs, no third-party cookies, iOS 14, just to name the few. So uh, how does Netaporte keep growing and keep growing in the Middle East specifically? Yeah, so you've been in this space a long time, Lina, and in e-commerce, and we've worked together for, I want to say like a decade now, almost. Or we've known each other in you know, different companies and different setups. Uh, this market is a roll with the punches kind of market anyway. So yes, 
we are talking about the KPIs of the business, but there are other bigger macro KPIs that we're also working with because as you know, we work in six different markets in the GCC and each market is completely different in its macro and its micro behavior. So I wish I can generalize and say that, you know, acquisition cost is high in a certain market and not in others. It's not high across the board. It depends on the category. It depends on the stream. It depends on what, what activations we're using. It depends if you're very reliant on social media or influencers or not. It depends if you're upper funnel or last click model. It, it really varies quite a lot. Um, we've had to adapt quite a lot of things and we've had to renegotiate a lot of the contracts that maybe were good in the past, but that's normal. And that's an evolution of, of any business that becomes bigger and, and more mature. Um, because uh, as part of a global business, you need to really hold on to your share, right? Otherwise, unlike, say, pl single players in the market who only focus on the Middle East, um, where their investment only goes to their own market, we're really head-to-head -head with the U.S., we're head-to-head -head with APAC. So we need to make sure that we're aligning against them as well. So let's say in terms of all the changes that have happened, we're quite a large organization and we have fantastic teams in headquarters who are able to support us and get ahead of the trends. So when you have the strategic partnerships with all the big ones, then we have a head start, let's say, in terms of understanding the impact, preparing for it, not in terms of numbers. Our numbers are not changing. Our numbers are not going down because uh, we have, you know, we can't uh, cookie or we can't do, we have to find another way. But luckily for us, uh, all along, even though we are a digital business, I've relied a lot on clienteling in terms of our business. This is a VIP market. It's a, we have, we may be smaller in population, but our customers spend a lot. And when they do spend, they spend with high baskets. So if you're able to tap into that market, you, you're not likely to get them online. You're not acquiring them through a Google, you know, AdWord or a Google shopping or anything like that. These are very much one-on-one -on -one relationships that you get through knowing them, partnering with them. Um, and it's not like all royal families, you know, it's, uh, but as you know, Lena, I've been here a long time. And when you're here a long time, clienteling is part of what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. It's knowing them, knowing their families, um, being invited, because all it takes is that certain number of VIPs who we call EIPs to really hit your numbers because they're buying from us very, very frequently. And the idea is to really focus on clienteling with them. So for example, um, I'm wearing a, a bracelet that we sell uh, on the site, uh, I know you love jewelry, Lena. Uh, it's a designer, her name is Ananya. So we carry her on the site and she doesn't have a store in Dubai Mall. And she, uh, we, she is one of our top brands, but one of our top brands purely through clienteling, through events, through dinners, through invitations, through getting uh, her in front of the VIP or the EIP to get to know her customers well. And once that connection happens between brand and customer, 
then the sky's the limit with that brand. So those are kind of the, the very cool things that we can do in our markets that you would never be able to do in much, much bigger markets, but, right? But, but what, what does it mean? Like, so it, it, for me, that sounds like a B2B business. So it, it sounds like uh, you're in a business where you can really afford to um, create one-to-one uh, uh, -one marketing strategies. Let's say Lina is a super high net worth uh, potential customer. Then you can come up with a strategy. Okay, how can we invite her to a party, to to whatever, to get uh, to get her into the net property uh, uh, business? And this could only work from my point of view if it's kind of a um, six-figure revenue per year for such high-value clientele. Is it kind of the the region we <laughs> are looking for? To... You're trying to, very hard to, I, I think you've run enough businesses to work backwards from what I'm saying to know exactly mm. what it would take to afford those types of uh, events and that level of care that our customers in the Middle East expect because they are being pampered by everyone. Um, but again, no comment on the numbers. But again, you've run PLs, so you have a very good idea of, of what it takes. We are not a valuation business, we're a value business. In other words, my multiple is not a multiple of top line. My multiple is based on my cash, my EBITDA, right? So I can't uh, just spend whatever I want and lose whatever I want. I have to be cash positive. So in that sense, um, you know, you have to have and make enough to be able to also acquire those customers. Now, what I wanted to mention, it's not B2B. It's actually very one-to-one, -one, as you mentioned. But the, the way we position ourselves is even though we're a digital business, we're actually very physical in the way we operate. So we have a lot of physical events. We do a lot of physical one-to-one -one engagements and our clienteling department, which is personal shopping, is always uh, the biggest and uh, they're the most consumer facing. So they have their own books of clients and they know exactly what weddings they're going to. If they're going to the Cannes Film Festival, if they're going to the fall winter uh, show in Milan and, and what the weather is and what they need to wear. Uh, sometimes they know exactly what weddings they're all going to and to make sure that they're not all anyone is wearing the same dress as the other. Sometimes it's uh, producing a bracelet that is just for them, you know, that's not done before. And that level of uh, that one on one, but also combined with exclusivity is really important. Exclusivity in this region is so critical. Every person wants to have something that no one else has or has access to. So remaining on top of that and being able to create those opportunities is, um, it, it might seem inundating for some, but for us, it's a lot of fun. So as you're talking about these unique uh, ways of engaging and acquiring customers, uh, what's your view and, and what are you guys in the Middle East doing in terms of live shopping as, as you are very experienced in that? Are you trying to to experiment with a live shopping to kind of reach the like someone in Kuwait, for example, maybe where the clientele is, you know, your your VAP services is not as big or as many people working with, like like live shopping, something around NFTs, you know, that sort of like the new way yes. of maybe engaging in shopping. 
chopping yeah. or paying. Uh, Kuwait actually is a very strong market for us. It's always been one of our top markets because uh, our Kuwaiti customers have known us from the UK. And as you know, they've been traveling longer than any customers in the region. So they're quite, uh, even though the, the population is, is relatively small compared to Saudi, they're a very, very, let's say, it's a very deep relationship, right? So live streaming has been really fun uh, for us. We've not done NFTs yet as a group overall, as Richmond, we've not done anything with NFTs yet. But live streaming, we do it a lot with stylists and we do it with celebrities and they're really fun. And people really do tune in to see what's being worn, what's being positioned, um, we do a lot of these kind of events where we reveal the trends of the year. So, for example, this coming year, just for you, Lena, because you're a shopper as well. Um, you know, jeans are having a massive comeback, logos on T-shirts, things like that. People want to know. They want to know what's coming, what's in, what's the color. You know, am I buying into green? Am I still into the fuchsia? You know, and those kinds of things happen in the live streaming, but we're not the voice of it. A very famous stylist is the voice of it normally. Uh, normally with a celebrity as well, alongside working together. We've done a lot with inclusion as well. So we've included, uh, for example, people with determination uh, in those live streams. So we've helped people with determination um, dress. So helping them um, style themselves in an easier way. If they're in a wheelchair or if they have a prosthetic leg or whatever, uh, what could be a good shoe they can wear? What's good uh, outfit they can wear? And maybe putting, out, putting it out more out there rather than saying, no, you know, hide your prosthetic leg. We're saying we're also using those live streaming opportunities to communicate with their customers to produce also very positive messages, similar with sustainability. So Net Sustain, which is a sub-franchise of Netaporte, is our most successful franchise in Saudi Arabia. So, you know, for millions of years, we've been saying the Middle East is not ready for sustainability. And actually, the number one reason that our customers in Saudi love us is because of Net Sustain. Wow, very nice. So what I'm hearing is that you you actually do have a very strong community. And I think from my experience in the region, you know, we all managed to convince, you know, through Google Ads to do that first purchase, but it's so hard to keep the, the customer to actually build that community. And even if I, like, I have some clients that even if we launch this uh, live shopping, it's a very big success, success of episode one, episode two, but then, you know, the interest starts diving down. So clearly you managed to crack that formula. So maybe you can hear some tips, you know, how do you build these communities and how do you maintain them, you know, just being authentic or genuine, you know, maybe some tips, you know, for the audience. For sure, given that we're a very young customer base and even I would say young in behavior as well, I would say that they can really read into who's authentic and who isn't. But this is probably global, right? If you're not an authentic brand, they can read right through it immediately. If you're just, uh, as we call it, like talking about sustainability for greenwashing sake, the customer knows. We've been doing net sustain forever. We've been doing sustainability forever, you know, and we introduce it at a very, very low 
price point so everybody can buy into it to the very high price points, you know, which is also a new thing that all the big brands now are on board. But uh, in terms of community, we are community driven as a market. We are very peer to peer driven. You know, you and I did a lot of research on that before, how people shop via word of mouth. Um, so we work a lot with the idea of the, you know, celebrity stylists, you know, they have their own community of, of people. Sometimes they know them personally. Sometimes it's a community on social media. What we realize is that social media plays a, a, a much bigger role here than it does anywhere in the, in the world for us, at least. And it's still very Instagram driven, no matter what you say. And I know we're gonna get to TikTok, but uh, you know, we'll, we can talk about TikTok as well. We've not launched TikTok yet, but it'll launch soon. Um, TikTok is very critical. A lot of people have been very wary about TikTok for luxury, but uh, uh, TikTok works for everything, you know. But the key thing why it works so well for us in the region is it's fast. And that's the key point about live streaming. One, the idea of episodes to me is boring. You know, it's not a television show. So it has to be around Saudi National Day or Kuwait National Day or um, uh, Emirates Women's Day. It has to be around a special occasion rather than it becoming a series of, of something. People get bored very quickly. They move on very quickly. Uh, they get distracted very quickly. There's a lot going on. Um, the other one is it has to be fast. If it's slow, if it's too long, then they're done. So even the way you see like young people putting together their Pinterest boards and putting together their TikTok boards, it's all about, you know, quick fashion ideas. So we merchandise that way in the Middle East. So we, you know, like we always say that she walks into the shop and she says, I want this window as it is. I want everything in the window. I want exactly the way the model is dressed. I want it all. So we realize that online and we make sure that it's similarly merchandised online. In Europe, she looks through the website. She goes to page one, two, three, four, seven, 10, 20, 50, right? Here, you're gonna lose her by page three. Can, if, can, can, if, can we stick with this website view for a minute? Because I was surprised when you, when you told me how, 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 how intense your customer relationship um, is. So if, if we were asking um, e-commerce uh, fashion website managers in, in Europe, like Zalando, about you, uh, Boohoo, others, they do have a huge team optimizing the whole customer journey on the website. It's all about like online marketing campaigns, very cohorted, tailored, uh, a way to get the customers on the website and the website itself has, has like many, 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 many different funnels where the only aim is to uh, get the maximum basket and a very good conversion rate. If, if I'm listening to you, I would say you, you can even afford like uh, having a having a website down for a day or two because like the, the no. much bigger part of the, the, the bigger part of business comes from your customer database because you, you still can call your you can still call can call your your clientele though it's much less focused on the traditional online marketing customer journeys like uh, a very very um, very focused um, optimization uh, um, that's task. yeah. So sorry to interrupt. That's not a portrait, Mr. Porter, because that's luxury. On Nukes and the Outnet, then it becomes very traditional website. Mm. So we okay. are looking exactly with, with where they're entering, through which product we're 
same. We're maximizing by making sure that we're advertising products that we have enough depth of. So they're not, we, we're making sure that we're, we're, we have the right shipping costs so we don't have a high abandonment. All the, all the things that uh, the rest of the teams are dealing with, we're probably very fortunate that we have a really, really good return rate. Um, and this comes from having a good product. So Lina has heard me say this a million times. It starts by having the best product at the, at the right price. And then everything else follows. It doesn't mean it's easy. It's like you said, it's the, the hardest part is getting all the channels to talk together in the right way and in the right tone and to hand the customer from one to the other. So in other words, my growth team will bring in the customer. That's like an acquisition cost. Then my CRM team needs to get them to, to do their first purchase and do their second purchase and their third and their fourth and make sure that my attrition does not go above a certain point because I'm driven by CLTV. So actually my KPIs are very similar to everybody else. You know, I have a CAC and I have a CLTV and they have to match. Uh, and obviously one has to be significantly higher than the other. And my CLTV is based on a very short period of time and everything's taken out of it. You know, there's, there's nothing easy about it. You know, uh, attrition is taken out of it, you know. So it's, uh, we follow exactly the same rules, but what we've done as a business, and I give Jeffroy, uh, our CEO, a lot of credit for that, is that he's built a growth team who are experts in acquiring customers. And they need to acquire them based on certain parameters. So then we look at their average order value. We look at the way you know they behave, which funnel they're coming through. Are they coming through shopping? Are they coming through a keyword? Are they coming through a, a certain brand? Um, and then how are they transacting? Or if they're not, where are they leaving us? And then that goes back to site trading. We'll have to make sure, and the product team, to make sure that we have everything in place for them to click that buy button. So uh, I hope I've convinced you that in the end, it's it's uh, really e-commerce is, is the same principles, but we rely more heavily on, in the luxury side of the business, on EIPs, who just happen to love a more customized approach in, in the way they shop. Which, which resembles more a physical store, which is something very unique, by the way. I mean, what, not, what is, ma not many people do what that. Does, what does ERP stand for? Uh, sorry? EVIP. EIP. EIP. Oh, so VIP, we call them EIPs. Extremely ah. important people. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Got it. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, Nazina, maybe then, uh, as you... As you I think, you know, you kind of have double hard work, right? So you have to use the traditional ways of e-commerce and you are being measured on, as you said, you know, on the traditional KPIs, but on top of it, you have to also acquire customers from one-to-one from -one personalization, which is quite difficult. And what you just mentioned a few minutes ago around the TikTok. So you said you haven't launched it um, and you plan, I guess you're planning it to, to do so. And knowing you, I'm sure you are planning with the, to do it big way, something different, something unique. So, you know, any insights you can share on today's podcast yeah. with us? 
Can can can, after. <laughs> can Lena and I participate on the challenge you're you're about yes. to launch on TikTok? Yes, yeah. I, I I just did my TikTok challenge uh, with Arif actually. <laughs> I did the how to walk like a model. So if you want to participate in that, you can you can do that. I'm sure you've done it many times, right? In front of the mirror, mm. right? Quite a few. <laughs> yeah, quite a few, right? So I have nine-year-old twins. So I, I, I think I, I wake up and go to sleep with TikTok in my head anyway, ticking. Um, and I believe that we have a fantastic local TikTok team, uh, Shant and Arif. So they also come from a digital background and they've worked with all the great companies uh, before. So the great news is it's almost like a continuation. The TikTok team we have in the Middle East, we've worked together in the other companies before and they understand our brands really well and the only thing i would say about tiktok is it it is a younger consumer so the approach that older approach is not going to work that's very kind of like structured approach of too many guidelines will lose our customer it has to have a little bit of chaos do you remember lena in the in the virgin days when I said to you that the site has to be chaotic like the store because young people shop in a chaotic way. Like uh, they need the headphones next to the t-shirts, right? It may not make sense to Apple and uh, you know it's, not, it's against Apple's guidelines, but that's how young people shop. So you have to really be agnostic in, as a retailer and follow the customer in the way they're, they're approaching every platform. How we approach Instagram is very different to Snapchat, very different to TikTok. TikTok is going to be a lot about um, community. Community is going to be very critical for us and tapping into the communities in Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Qatar, etc., who have this following. So this is maybe something for, um, maybe as a general rule, maybe, I, I don't know if you've heard me ever say this, but sometimes what you do is you find the most influential person in a tribe in Saudi Arabia, and they have the most following in, in the social community from that tribe, I mean, literally tribe, right? And you, you allow them to create the videos for you because they have the strongest following within their own tribe of thousands, right? And they can create the community for us stronger than we can ever create it ourselves, right? But it's a challenge for us because we have to challenge our creative minds. We have to challenge the way we do our own creativity. But other luxury brands have done it and they've done it in a great way, in a lovely way. And uh, looking forward to follow suit. And I'm very excited about the metaverse as well and, and can't wait for that as well. So when are we starting to see another port in Middle East on TikTok this year? Or? Um, oh yeah, of course this year, definitely this year. Yeah, yeah okay, definitely. Yeah, uh, metaverse, we did Animal Crossings. Uh, it was really focused on Japan and it was a lot of fun where you actually had a Netaporte store and you went to the island and so on. Uh, to me, that's also super cool. When, um, quick story, uh, when it was, um, uh, it was about breast cancer and my son came home and he said, 
uh, mommy won't believe this, my friend so-and-so, he's such an idiot. He actually bought uh, the actual Balenciaga shoes. So I said to him, uh, uh, so I thought maybe he was jealous or something. So I said, do you want them? Uh, and he said, I already have them. So I said, well, I didn't buy them. Did your dad buy them for you? Who bought them for you? He said, yeah, I bought, I bought them all on Fortnite. I already have, I have them all. I have everything from Balenciaga. I don't need anything. So, you know, when your kids start thinking this way, I mean, you know, it's... Uh, well, okay, but, but can, we, can we stay at this like for, for a minute? You, you just mentioned uh, Metaverse uh, and Animal Crossing, but you started the conversation with uh, your focus on CAC and CLTV. So how, how is this, was it like a success from a business perspective, having this experiment on, an, on the, I don't know, Netopathy Island in Animal Crossing? The ones that are playing Animal Crossing know what I'm talking about, but was it a success? Because that's... <laughs> Uh, that's the biggest like uh, criticism right now about all this kind of that's an class. upper funnel yeah i mean there's upper funnel and lower funnel we are very lower funnel focused as a business but upper funnel helps lower funnel one without the other does not work and i think that's been proven unless you're a very transactional site then it works really well but if you're a relationship site then you need to have the upper funnel branding especially in new markets where Uh, in some markets, people uh, a few years ago didn't know how to porte, didn't know how to pronounce it, didn't know if it was French, English, what we sold, you know, so you need to do a lot of branding work. And that's upper funnel, you know. And in my opinion, uh, the more you invest in upper funnel, it reduces your, your acquisition cost. Of course, a lot of changes are happening at the moment that are changing those equations. But there's no doubt that uh, no, no business can survive purely on, on a transactional basis. It's only a matter of time unless it's a race to the bottom and you're constantly discounting and therefore you're acquiring a bottom feeder. But at one point, if you're, you know, you need to make money for your investors. I mean, uh, you will talk to others probably on this podcast that are more in the valuation game so they can continue to invest and throw in money and, and uh, bite into their margin. But if you can't do that, then you have to invest in your brand and maintain your brand at a certain level. Race to the bottom kills everybody. Hmm. Um, um, before before Lina Lina comes up with the TikTok to topic again, maybe one 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 big challenge like in in your business in general, um, from my understanding, is that many of your brands try to get direct to access, uh, direct to consumer access themselves. They are investing also like in metaverse NFT um, stuff, so they can sell directly, maybe via their own platform, via Instagram shopping or other um, or other channels. That is actually something which we have seen in in the uh, in the uh, mid-market mid segment earlier. So that's why Zalando and other bigger fashion uh, retailers do have such a big, uh, such a big uh, quota of exclusive products or self-produced products, which my view would be um, that's going to that's gonna happen also like to your uh, um, um, industry. Do you have a view on that or how do you manage this kind of dilemma? Of course. Um, so what we would also see is that... Uh, They need us and we need them. So they go hand in hand. So let me use uh, any one of the top brands. If I had to use uh, Gucci as an example, them having a physical store in a big mall is branding for me. So when the customer comes to the site, they're aware of the brand. They know that it's a luxury brand. They're aware of the products. They're aware of um, the, the design. They're aware of the quality. So we feed ourselves hand in hand. 
they produce exclusive products for us that we're able to sell only in our stores that are not available in their stores, you know, physical or digital, doesn't matter. And they do the same. At the end of the day, this is why the relationship is so critical. And the relationship is this one-on-one, -on -one, but it's also how you're performing your CRM, um, how you're communicating, ensuring you're not over-communicating, so you're not spamming as well, but also what you're doing on site as well. Um, so all of them play into this relationship. We have customers who will see a product on the brand site that we're not carrying on the site. They will contact the personal shopper and say, um, so-and-so, I just saw this lovely necklace. I would like to buy it. Can you please call the brand and get it for me? So they're so loyal to their personal shopper that they, and to us as a, as a company, that they just want to buy through us and we don't have a loyalty program. This is without a loyalty program. This is purely based on relationship building because they know we have their information. It also means that we, when a product comes and we know it's coming through the pipeline, we're reserving it for them because we know it looks so good on them. Right? So I'm an EIP, so I can speak out of experience. My personal shopper, before I even know that the product is arriving, she's, she knows in her mind that this is a dress or this is a product that I'm going to love. And I look at my basket and it's in my basket and it's reserved. All she has to do is get the yes or no from me. And she did the work for me because guess what? Time is money. And we're seeing people investing more and more into experiences than into products. And we consider ourselves as a great experience. So think about travel, for example. Concierge travel is booming. People at one point stopped using agents, right? It was the world of... Uh, uh, Expedia, last minute, or Podo, whatever. Now concierge travel is back because people don't want to think about where am I going to go? Uh, do I need COVID test? I don't need a test. Do I need an entry? Not an entry. I want to make sure when I arrive, there's a car to take me from here to there. Uh, I'm traveling with kids. I want to make sure I have an itinerary that's kids safe or kid appropriate. So interestingly enough, concierge has come back in a big way. So we're seeing that one-on-one -on -one happen across the board, not just in fashion. But, you know, Nizreen, it sounds that um, you have phenomenal team, right? And it sounds that you know that um, even if you're a digital business, you are still first, you know, employees first, that sort of customer first, that relationship first, and you don't just put everything in the hands of technology. So I think most of us in this region specifically are going through like we're struggling to find talent, especially digital talent, you know, when everyone's trying to recruit around the world. So how do you, you know, what's your take on talent? Do you struggle with recruitment? How do you find these superstars that help you build this one-on-ones and, and, and build such a strong Net-A-Porter brand from- Lena, I love that you can read my mind. So you know that, uh, you know, probably the best lesson I learned from Richard Branson is, that you, for your customers to be taken care of, your employees need to be taken care of first. And we really have a, I would say, I mean, we would not have achieved the, the success that we've achieved and the positioning that we've achieved in the market. And with a lot of best case studies and with a heart, a heart towards the planet and a heart towards people, because you're nothing without a business with a heart. 
uh, without a team who are not just superstars in their own field, but also are human and humane in everything that they're doing. So uh, where do we find them? We're luckily now in a space where we have a lot of digital talent. Uh, the hardest thing now is to keep them actually. So you have to really work super hard to keep your great talent. And in my opinion, what keeps them uh, with us is having those great experiences, having the autonomy, uh, learning, continuous learning, um, being exposed to a multinational and all the tools that a multinational has, which is very special in this region. So that's very, very important. Um, and so none of this would have been possible without the team, without a doubt. And that's one thing that we've learned. In terms of the, uh, the customer, I remember a lady coming in uh, once talking about con technology. And I love that concept. And for her, uh, those uh, machines that listen to you at home, we won't mention the name in case it starts talking to you, um, <laughs> was not con technology. Uh, for her, con technology is exactly what you said. If a site goes down, the business does not stop working. I remember her using the escalator as an example versus the lift. She said, when the escalator stops working, you can still walk up. Yeah, when the lift stops working, you can't go up. And she used that and applied it to technology. And she said, every technology needs to be calm in the sense that when it goes down, business can still continue and the world is not falling apart. You know, you can still have events, you can still create sales, you can still do things. And COVID was the best example, right? We couldn't meet our customers in person, but we saw them via Zoom. We saw them in their bedrooms. We saw them in their homes. I mean, it couldn't have been more intimate than that. And it was very calm. It was relaxed. It was not, oh my God, the sky's falling. Quite the opposite. We came up with the best ideas the cool, we had the best time with our customers during COVID, the best time. We spent evenings together, Friday nights together. Um, we did so many cool things together. We cooked together. Um, so Tasha came and cooked with us one night and we delivered um, ingredients to all of our customers' homes and we cooked together one night. We had so many beautiful, we did styling one day where we cleaned up each other's closets and we... Uh, you know, uh, we put things that they should probably wear again because we believe that you should not throw away your things. You should rewear them and invest in pieces and not just be, you know, disposable fashion. Uh, we're not believers in that. So it was all about rediscover your wardrobe. So we did a lot of cool things like that. You just mentioned like one one crisis. Now, if you're uh, if you're going back to a, a Central Europe view, there's like multiple crises now piling up. Apart from the next COVID wave, we have like the war in Ukraine. We have the energy crisis. We have uh, just elected right wing parties in Italy. Almost the same in uh, in UK. The Brexit. So it's a it's it's a very hard time to plan the business. And like people are now uh, looking looking into different directions. Also, like in into your region, seeing it, it it must be better over there. But is it true? So are you really? Can you kind of um, can you kind of uh, isolate yourself from like some of the more global crises? And you're just sticking with true. I don't know inflation. It is true in certain angles. So I'll say where, where it's universal, shortages are universal. A lot of our brands were produced in Ukraine. So obviously when we have those issues, 
uh, were unable to get access to those brands. So it's bad for, for that brand and it's bad for that factory, but it's also, you know, uh, bad for business because you can't... Uh, uh, demand then all falls uh, haywired. Um, also, when costs go up in Europe, it's impacting the cost of products to the end consumer. And that's also impacting how much the customer obviously has in terms of discretionary income. The only savior going for us is the price of oil. So because the price of oil continues to go up, so obviously that's impacting the rest of the world. In this part of the world, people are actually improving. Um, for reasons I don't want to mention on this podcast, Dubai in particular is, is growing because it's acquired a, a, a population who are high spenders as well. In fact, uh, Dubai has become a hub post-COVID for a lot of nationalities because it opened up first. It's very versatile. Um, you mentioned before that a lot of businesses in Europe uh, were kind of transforming to omni-channel, but the Middle East skipped that. We don't have legacy. You know, uh, I always worked in legacy businesses that were trying to go digital. We simply don't have legacy. We, we've had T1 lines and fiber uh, lines uh, from day one, you know, uh, we went 5G like that. And our target for 5G uh, penetration is, uh, as uh, someone once said, it has to be the highest in the world. That's the mandate. Um, so luckily, uh, that helps. But two things I would say. One is the population migration to Dubai from all over the world. And obviously, to live in Dubai, you're a high spender. And Dubai makes it very easy to settle in. That's really improved all segments of the economy. So very fortunate. And uh, Dubai is, I would say, to borrow somebody, uh, somebody saying it's the fifth capital of fashion. So that really helps us a lot. But also the price of oil, without a doubt, has impacted all the GCC. So discretionary income between the price of production, then you add to it the cost of infrastructure, everything else above that is spending money. So, so it's better to have your business now in Dubai than in, uh, in, in London. It's, or I don't want to say it's easier for you. It's always challenging because there's competition. Uh, I wouldn't say, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say it's easier because of the reasons Lena said. Um, you know, the cost of acquisition is uh, very high. We have a lot of competition. And actually, the biggest issue we've got is we have a lot of startups. So when we are a business that's, that's there to make cash and EBITDA, and we're surrounded by an, an ecosystem of people who are in the valuation business, so they're spending a lot on marketing to achieve mm. top line, and margin and cash is not an issue, it's actually very difficult. So it's not as easy as, uh, as, as I'd like it to be. Okay. We are almost running out of time, but I'd like to hand over for the last questions to Lena because it's episode number one for our special episodes here. Yeah, so I was just, um, you know, I always love, you know, all your forward-looking perspective, Nazreen, and uh, and I think, you know, even the examples you gave, you know, from COVID, uh, you, um, you know, as uh, I say, as a driver of the Osvaneta border of the Middle East, always stay one step ahead, you know, of the competition, and 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 you know that's why the consumers definitely. Uh, loyal and love you. And um, so I think, you know, this is another initiative where Netaporta globally, and, and I'm sure you have some interesting things 
in mind. Um, I, I, I recently found out that you are investing into uh, re-commerce and you're trying to push the multiple uh, lives of luxury goods. So, um, and I know that all four stores you're planning to launch by 2025. So um, how are you embracing that re-commerce in the Middle East uh, as it is one of the biggest luxury markets and maybe the things that you said, because we do have a maybe bigger disposable income, you know, we, and we always want the latest, the greatest, the most exclusive. Um, I would like hmm. to hear, you know, as a final question, your thoughts, how, what do you have in mind and how are you going to embrace it, this sort of uh, re-commerce concept? So today, if you look at the research, Lina, you will see that if you looked at the overlap between the pre-owned sites and the, let's say, the, the new products, there's almost no overlap at all. It's a completely different customer. So the customer who's buying is probably not the, the, the person who's buying on that platform is probably not the same person who's buying on our platform. Okay, they might be selling. That's a possibility. Okay, but at the moment, they're not overlapping. What I do see is that there's an overlap in the lower segment. So with the outnet, you see more overlap. Again, it's about the price point, probably, right? So they want the brands, but they want them at a lower price. That's going to change because what we're seeing now is when a customer is buying something, they're already thinking about whether it has a resale value. And that's really very, very important for us as a business, but also as Richemont, right? So when you're buying, um, actually I have a live example. I'm wearing a Von Cleef bracelet I bought uh, in 2006, okay? Now it is seven or eight times the price. I wish I knew that then, right? I wouldn't have just bought one. Uh, yeah because they don't make this color anymore but people uh stop me in the mall in the shop etc every in the mall always someone has to offer a price on it the point i'm making how much? is that how much uh dollars and they there there are people in the euros. mall coming coming to you saying 25, i would offer you 25000 this one this this uh, oh. this particular one always Wow. this one uh, so four or five times what what was originally paid for uh, in London back then and people are beginning to realize that this is happening to your you know your Cartier bracelet your you know and that's how they're making decisions now they're saying let me buy something that one day is going to appreciate in value um, we know what happened with watches but actually, I hear even in watches on the high end, people are still looking for uh, certain brands. And so this is impacting, Lina, the decision upfront of buying a new product. And that's why we embrace the, the segment fully, because it is helping us on the front end of that business. Um, and I know that globally, it was initially two different worlds. But we've all realized now that we're part of one ecosystem. And my prediction is that what we saw in the software that where it shows no overlap, give it two, three years, we're going to see a big overlap between the customers who shop with us and the customers who shop pre-owned. You know, it's especially funny. with shortages, shortages on product. You know, like what what I will compare this to is it's it's funny you say like now, because it's exactly what about buy now, pay later. 
So a lot of the, a lot of, uh, you know, like people ask me why I use buy now, pay later. And they're kind of assuming that, oh, you can't afford it. I was like, no, because I just absolutely love the overall concept. And I'm, I'm that, you know, generation Z or millennial, you call it. Like, why would I pay it now if it's zero interest? It doesn't matter how much money you can have it. You know, it's the fact that you, and I think, you know, now, as you say, like, it's exactly what I, I hear it. I think even the younger segment will start probably buying luxury a lot at a lot younger age, you know, because you will be like, well, I can resell it, you know, it has a value. And, you know, because as if I think about in my 20s, even if I had a very good job and it was my first job, I kind of, I was like, what if I need to save for the house? I need to save, you know, you always had that in mind. So the handbag was never at the priority list. But I think if I know that I can resell it, you know, and, and as you said, like even through the same platform, definitely I would have got the, my first designer bag definitely at a lot younger age. So that's very, yeah, very because you can turn it into cash and actually you can make more money. So, uh, yeah. for example, with the prices going up with Chanel and so on, all of them this past year, everyone made more money if they had a closet full of Chanel's or Birkins or whatever. That's why there's a Birkin index, right? There's a Kelly index because they're going up in price as pre-owned. In fact, they, they cost more pre-owned than they do new in some cases, depending on the model, because with shortages as well, with um, inflation, oil, etc., sometimes you want a bracelet and it's, it's not available in the shop. The only place you can find it is pre-owned. And if it's pre-owned and it's not available in the shop, then that customer can charge whatever they want. Very nice. And I think you, as Nataporte, doing that, will make a really big difference because you will be the, the brand that shows it. It's okay to have pre-owned, you know, because that's also like- a, a Normalize moment. it. Yeah, you will yeah, normalize it. Yeah. Lena, everybody, every it, it of all levels buy pre-owned. If you're into Birkins, you're buying pre-owned Birkins because, you know, you, you simply cannot get in line to, yeah. to get a Birkin. So you're gonna pay double, triple if you want a Birkin. It's the what only is, way you're uh, going to get that? it. So, sorry, sorry for being like anti-fashion uh, here, but... Uh, an Hermes Birkin oh. would be $25,000, um, And that's on the secondary market. Hmm. On the primary market, it would be half that price. Hmm. Yesterday, did you less. see it? In New York, it sold $326,000. Yes, in New York, in the auction, one of the one of these Hermes Birkins. I was like, wow, yeah. amazing! Yeah. And every Birkin has a story, and the Mini Kelly, everybody wants. Stand in line, you have to buy, and actually they're linked. You have to buy so much fashion to be able to be on the list, even. So all of those factors are making pre-owned more and more exciting. Now pre-owned is struggling to get enough of those bags because shortages are impacting everybody. Nice. A very interesting conversation. Uh, I would love to talk to you like for days about it. <laughs> I'm sure Alex is like, what are they going? I would, I, Alex, I, yeah, Alex yeah, I will definitely, I will definitely go into research for the Birkin stuff. The first one uh, I found on on Google is ninety five thousand euros. Doesn't make any sense to me. But uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not the target uh, target audience here. I, I really, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed our first episode together. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Alex, Lina. Lina, lovely to see you always. And Alex, I'll see you uh, soon in person. Yeah, I will introduce you. At in real life. Yeah. 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 Sounds yeah. good.